<laughs> All right. I hope you got your thinking caps. That's too easy to do it that way. Uh, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 6. Is it open book? No. <laughs> This is our most recent. You get this one. I hope you do. Uh, chapter eight. Mediator of the new covenant. Okay. I, I, I've got several answers. I would I would accept there. A better covenant. Yeah. Better mediator of a better. Yeah. All right. You brought in Melchizedek and all. Uh, whatever, I would accept it. All right. Uh, let's go to number two then. Don't drift away. Don't drift away. He said, "Don't you folks drift away now, because you got nowhere to go." And boy, he starts laying evidence after evidence after evidence on why you should not drift away and how much better you have it now than you ever had it before. <clears throat> Number three, better than? Oh, now we got it going now. <laughs> All right. Okay, tightens up a little bit here. Four. Better than rest. Yeah, uh, Indoor. E yeah, even if you said rest, I would accept that. I don't care what all the implications of that rest. Yes, we're looking for the eternal rest, but we have rest now, as it were, with with Jesus. I'll do this. I mean. You know what I mean by that, eternal rest, but it's also rest for now. All right, now we're down to five. Now we're going. Better high priest. About to run out of ink, so this must be the last one. Number seven. I don't want to know Kizadek. But you said that was eight. Well, Melchizedek goes from bits and pieces from six, seven, eight, nine. So you're in you're better priesthood. You're in the ball game. Better priesthood is what our sheet said. Yep. Better priesthood. Better priesthood. All right. Um, would say give me a B plus on that. 
tough grade. All right. Not a plus for us. Pardon? No. <laughs> All right, chapter eight. Chapter eight. We went over uh, a good bit of it, in fact, most of it on, uh, on Sunday. We're we'll, we'll, going to recap a little bit. And then on, on Wednesday nights, now we're trying to make application. <coughs> we, uh, on Sundays, we try, you know, to uh, talk about the new information and get some meaning out of it. And then we have, as Sean says, we have a so what moment. Learn all of this, and you go, okay, so what? So we'll, we'll, we'll hit some of those things in a little bit. Any questions or comments when you're reading this week? Anything jump out at you like, hmm, I didn't see that on Sunday. Anything at all? That's okay if you didn't. Um, <clears throat> let's look at verse 7. We, we touched on it a little bit. Um, where is this quotation from? Verses 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, Jeremiah 12. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. And it basically, it's um, practically word for word uh, as, far, as far as we're concerned. Now, when you go back to Jeremiah 31, you look at the context of all that. Well, first of all, what was Jeremiah noted at? He was called what kind of prophet? The Weeping Prophet. Um, it's a longer book, major prophet, we, we call it. You know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of that. And when, when he gets to, to Jeremiah 31, back, let's go back there. We can stay in Acts 8, or, or Hebrews 8, it's the same thing basically. But you, you can, the, the Hebrews at that time, no question, they had to be thinking, what, is this, what does this mean? What does this mean? Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. You know, in chapter 8, we talk about the old covenant, the new covenant. Uh, we'll get to that on the very last verse of chapter 8. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. We touched on this Sunday. Why does he mention Israel and Judah? Were they, was this a united kingdom at the time? No, it was not. It was divided already. Uh, Israel went away first into captivity and Judah later, but um, you see this idea of division. Division. Um, but when this new house comes, when this new um, covenant takes place, uh, we're going to compare and contrast that a little bit, that you don't see that division. In fact, you see just the opposite of that. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Was that the first covenant? When he, when he took Egypt out of, uh, took the Israel out of Egypt, was that the first covenant ever made? No. No, not even close. But he, he's talking about when he was leading them out of Egypt and, the, you know, that five million or whatever the, the, the number was that, that, that left Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them. Uh, what's the... Uh, that, that's sort of... Uh, um, a language that's quite... Uh, 
quite dramatic in a way. Uh, says that I, I treated them like a husband. What do you think that means? What lesson, what, what picture of God do you get here? I was a husband and I took them by the hand. Caring? Head of Very the caring. Head of the household. Well, head of okay. faithful. the people of Israel. Faithful, caring, loving, loving. Leader. a leader, without a doubt. Marriage. Marriage. Yeah, we see that uh, in the book of Ephesians, um, among other places, but that's one. So God said, I, I took you by the hand and I was leading you like we've all had little children before, and I was going to look after you. I did look after you, but what did they do to him? I don't think so. They rebelled, didn't they? God took it and He took it and He took it till finally what happened to all everybody over the age of 20 except two. They, their carcasses died in the wilderness. God says, I scattered their carcasses in the wilderness. Millions of people died in the wilderness. Some of them were swallowed by the, by the earth opening up, 27,000 one day, one time. Snakes killed a bunch of them. Um, they rebelled against him. He said, the day's coming. Well, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Um, but this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more. We touched a little bit on this, but we're going to hit some more on it a little bit. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember uh, no more. Um, go to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 3. You know, he talks about in, in Hebrews 8 that you're going to, I'm going to make you my uh, people that you're, you're going to, I'm going to put my laws on your minds and in your hearts. And, and so look at Jeremiah 9, verse 3. Let me back up. Yeah, 9, verse 3. Now, go up to verse 1. What's Jeremiah doing already? Crying. He's weeping over all of this, the tragedies that, that's because they're adulterers, they're treacherous people. They said you don't trust your neighbor. That's an interesting word God you Uses in the Hebrews 8, he talks about neighbor. Uh, we'll touch on that in a second. Um, he said, And like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for the truth on the earth. For they proceed from evil to evil. And they do not what? Amen. Know me. They were his people. How did they not know him? Did they know of him? Yes. Is there a big difference? Yes. Huge. It's huge. Um, we know our neighbors in our neighborhood, but when you have friends that are for 50 years, do you know them? Do you really know them? Yeah. So there's a difference because they, they said they don't know me. And when he talks about this in this new covenant, they're going to know me. They're really going, going to know me.
Um, and he goes on to say, he talks about neighbors. You know, neighbors not trusting your brother, not trusting your neighbor, slanderers, uh, deceive your neighbor. They don't speak the truth. They speak lies. They they commit iniquity. They and on and on and on. This is the kind of people God had in the old days. He said, it's not going to be the case. This is not going to be this way when this new covenant comes. Well, if you didn't know, if you were a Jew, it's a lot. When did that happen? Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8. And these are Jewish Christians, and they knew all of this over here. They knew this. And they might have been wondering, when is this going to happen? Well, the writer says, how about now? This is going to happen now. And you will know me, God says. You'll know me intimately. You will know me um, as I'll be your only God and you'll be my only people. We'll have a relationship. Because they didn't have it over there. They didn't. Now, he talks, uh, I think it was chapter 7, where he talks about volunteers. Uh, were you a volunteer uh, in the Jewish days? What got you into that thing? Birth. Luck? Birth. Birth. Yeah. Uh, not here. Not, not in. We're volunteers. We're volunteers. Thoughts on that? It's interesting that because we're volunteers, put that together with my people will know me, it really does point us to the fact that to be a volunteer, we have to know and understand something about what God wants from us and accept His call. And that really is this kind of, you think of all the religions that, um, that have children, infants, mm -hmm. it's almost the exact same situation as the, as the Hebrews were. Uh, when you talk to people who are, who are from that, putting these things together really helps us to understand that no, people who serve God truly are not children anymore. They, they volunteer when they know and understand God. Because if they don't know God, they can't volunteer. Uh, that, 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 that's a really good point. Points. Um, it's a little bit uh, flowery language in that for I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of his brothers saying, Know the Lord. Why? They all shall know me after Jesus comes. And you're going to be volunteers. This is not going to be a bunch of draftees. You're going to have to want to be in my army. Um, and it's a, it's a relationship that's, that's very close, very tight, we would say in our maybe vernacular today. But uh, that's, that, that's a picture that Jeremiah is painting that, that the writer here just amplifies and says, this is it right here today. This is it. Now when we get into chapter 9, when he says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Didn't he forgive sins and iniquities under the old law? Was he a graceful God of the old law? You better believe it. Through his grace and mercy. You know, he goes on to say blood, the blood of bulls and goats doesn't take away sin. And some, it's almost like God was saying, I'm going to delay this. I'm going to tolerate this for now. 
but blood and bulls and goats, I want I ask you to do it. You're gonna do it. Um, the high priest is gonna to have to offer sins for himself. But there's a day coming when when I really will. Uh, Jesus' blood will cleanse it all. Cleanse all those sins. Then, future, and back. Once and for all. There's no more remembrance of those things. Otherwise, why do they come back every year? Why do they come back every day? The priest and the high priest once a year. If it's, if, how many times did Jesus do that? Why is Jesus better? One of the things. Uh, he only, better high priest, he only had to give, him, give himself one time. And God said, that's enough. That's sufficient. I'm good. I'm good now. But he was not before. When you go over to, um, and, and I don't want to, I want you to be thinking about this. We're not going to get deep in it because we're going to see it in, in chapters 9 and chapter 10. Um, 1 Peter 3.21. Now this is a, this is a, um, a verse we all know, we all go to when it talks about baptism, right? And that's true. But look at verse 21 while we're talking about 1 Peter 3.21. There is also a, a, an antitype which now saves us baptism. Okay, now if that was a period, I'm good with that. I'm going to stop there. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh. Notice. But the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where does this good conscience come from? That was not there before under the old law. Through Jesus, through his death. And yes, we're baptized for the remission of sins. Of course we are. That's what it says. I didn't write it. Um, but it's an answer of a good conscience toward God. Now, when we get in chapter 9, um, chapter 9, verse 9, uh, I don't hear, I don't want to jump too much, but it, it's important, I think. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him uh, who performed the service perfect. In regard to what? Consciousness. And he goes on about the washings and all, all the ordinances and all of that thing. But it, in some form or some fashion, the people who were forgiven, and God accepted that for the time, even though he's pointing toward the sun, um, it didn't cleanse the conscience some way. If you could explain that, all of that, uh, feel free. But there was an element of conscience in that that, that when, you, when you're under the old law, yes, I saw the high priest going there, I know God's going to um, accept me, but he, he's forgiving me almost in view of his son, where the conscience can be cleansed and be pure. Go ahead, John. Right. So... I'm really glad you pointed out this verse because I really love this verse for talking to anybody who who says that baptism isn't necessary. And I'm like, okay, well, baptism saves us, so how can you say it's not necessary? But but it's so cool. I just now got this. You were you said because it gives us a good conscience toward God. People believe that their sins are forgiven, Baptists, mm -hmm. before they're baptized, mm -hmm. and that's not what this says. It's not what it says, is it? I love it. I love this verse even more. Well, thank you for sharing that because um, sometimes a little light bulb will go on in inopportune moments. But I, love uh, that. I, I, I thank you for saying that. But that, that is that is true. That's just that's what it says. I you know I told. Also, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
when X two thirty eight says repent and be baptized, uh -huh. if the Baptist doctrine was true, wouldn't it then say repent and then be baptized? You know, but it uh -huh. says repent and, not repent then be baptized. Yeah, uh, and that's you can make that argument. There, there are there are many other arguments, of course, but. Uh, it, I don't. I won't be running. Or a I might say. Or they might say. I, I'm going to run a rabbit just for a second, but but not too long. But I'm going to try to answer your question. The in Acts two thirty eight it talks about uh, Peter says repent and be baptized. Now this word. Even in our English language, but it, but this coordinating conjunction and it gives equal weight to what's before it, and it gives equal weight to what's after it. It's absolutely true. So one is not more important than the other. No, if he had said, "Well, you know, just be baptized, and you can repent for if you sin," that'd be wrong too. It would be. You can't, I, I personally, I don't see why the big deal is, but the religious world, it's a big deal. Why? Because they have their minds made up. It just says, repent and be baptized, and they both are equal in this equation. It just is. Jim? And I like that thought process because in elementary school, we always say first this, then this, mm -hmm. and it gives steps. Like, this isn't. It's like technically there are steps prior to that, mm -hmm. but once you hit that, like there's no first then. No, that's right. That's a good point. You you don't you don't take one without the other one, and that includes the one behind it too. You can't leave out the repentance. It's how well how it's is equally important as being baptized, but it's no more important. Just what it says. Uh, so that, that's a good point, uh, Tony. I, I don't mind running a little bit on that. Um, now let's see if we can. The last seven, eight minutes, whatever. Um, describe some ways. It talks about uh, in Hebrews eight, there twelve, uh, eight, eight through twelve. This quotation says the new covenant will be different and better than the old. While you're thinking about that. If something is getting old, what, what does that imply? Better, stronger, weaker. weaker, fading away, eventually what? You die. You die. That's what happens to old people. You can't hide from it. So he says the same thing. This, this old law, well, what is old law? Old law means it implies that it's on its way out. If it wasn't, we need a new law for it. So, uh, how is the new covenant better than the old? Lots of ways, but uh, based in this context here, feel free. We just talked about one of the conscience. That's a good one. Uh, what else, Joan? I was just thinking, um, I can't remember where I heard this, but it helps me with the Old and New Testament and the Old and New Covenant, because it's not a word that we use a lot in our language today. However, it was it was like a contract. It, it just, that that's what it was. Mm -hmm. It was a contract between God's people and, 
And so, so when I think of it that way, it's very obvious today when you have a, a contract that is an old contract, it is null and void. It is not in use anymore once you have a new one that has been put into place and you have all the proper signatures. That's, that's very simple to understand. No, it is. It is. What, what else? How's the new covenant? It's for everyone. It's for everyone. It's not just Jews, not just Gentiles, it's for everybody. Yes. Old one's dying. Old one's being replaced. Why? Better mediator. Better sacrifices. Almost saved. Almost saved. Now, <clears throat> yeah, anything else on that? There's several, but complete forgiveness. Yeah. I'll remember your sins no more. That really is not what happened in the old covenant. No. God forgot their sins for a year. The next sacrifice had to be made. Yeah, keep forgetting their sins. This is this is pretty. This is absolute. When God said, "I'll remember your lawless deeds and your sins no more," they're gone. They will never be brought against me again by God, ever. But I roll. The word, I guess, the term not roll forward in the New Testament, but the the concept is there. They were rolled forward. They were remembered uh, every year, and God. Thankful for His grace. We think His grace is only of the New Testament. No. Think of the grace and mercy of the Old Testament to put up with all of that. Because my, son, my, my son's coming. And even in verse, go to 9 and verse 15. We're going to get to it, but I want you to think about it. It's a powerful, powerful verse. Hebrews 9 and verse 15. And for this reason, He's the mediator of the new covenant. Okay, we've already talked about that. By means of death. Notice. By means of death, Notice, for the redemption of the transgressions, where? Under the first covenant. That those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. That is so clear that when Jesus came, He's, he's the mediator of, of, of all of God's saved. And said, why did He die? For the redemption of the transgression under the first law. They were not forgotten. They were tolerated. I don't know, I use that term accommodatively, uh, if you will. Uh, they were kind of tolerated by God. He said, okay, my, my grace is going to take care of this for now. But there's a day coming up where it's not. And then here they're wanting to do what? Go back under that first law. And God said, be careful. If you do, your sins will not be forgiven. Because your thumb and your nose are my boy there. My son. I don't mean to disrespect. My son. My dear son. Uh, his blood is so much better than what you're used to on the old law. Don't go back. It's a good place to go. Uh, follow me. Yeah, Lisa. So, under the old law, it was just for the Jews. Mm -hmm. Correct? So, if you were born a Jew, pretty much it was covered. Like, they, they could... It's almost, I feel like they could just go through the motions and because they were born a Jew then they, and they went through and did the things that were it said in the law to do, then they were covered. You know what I mean? Covered. I, 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 for it to be a perfect covenant, Jesus, like, 
for everyone, you have to choose it. You have to be invested in it. You have to make the choice to do that. It's open to all, but you're not automatically in yeah. because of your birth. Yeah, there's, any, no, there's no checklist anything. anymore. I, and I think you're volunteers. Like with anything else, if and give me your heart. Investment. Yeah. Investment. Give me your heart. Very important. But just to be clear, everyone under the old covenant, just because those sacrifices were being offered, that didn't mean that they were going to be forgiven. Those who fell in the desert are an example of those. Pretty clear that that, that, they, that God did hold it against them for that rebellion and that rebellious heart was, was there. And so even I think under the Old Testament, and I think that shadowed a little bit in this what you said in, in verse nine and verse uh, verse fifteen that those who are called, David's a man after God's own heart, who's a sinner, maybe he was forgiven. Think about all those who were called who didn't answer, who didn't answer God in faith. I just think of like different religions today. It's like they're they're Catholic because their entire family's always been Catholic and where they came from their country they were all you know what I mean? I just I almost get that like impression sometimes when I look back at the Jews of how they might have viewed it's like, well it's what we do. We're Jews. We we have to go and give the sacrifice. You have to do. It's almost like emotions that they were going through, where there, there certainly was an element of that, you know, no I doubt. Yeah. What value does the first covenant have today if it's vanished away? What do we care about the old, old law, the old covenant? If it's vanished away, New Testament says it is. What do we care? Well, what lessons can we get from that? There's a lot of them. I'll help you out with one. What, um, where can we learn a lot about God's character? The way He treats, treated His people, the love He showed His people, um, the demands on His people to be faithful, um, His patience, His long-suffering, His love, His care, His concern. Where, if we didn't have the Old Testament, would we have as full a picture as we, as we do now? I don't think so. I don't think so. So the Old Testament is very valuable. Well, why else? Have you ever heard, it, it's tried, I get it. Uh, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. There's some truth to that. I, I, we'd be taking the task a little bit on that, I guess, but uh, there's a lot of who did the Old Testament point to? Every book, Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. He's coming. Always pointing to. When Jesus comes, what does Jesus oftentimes do? Oftentimes quote the Old Testament. This this is today. This has been fulfilled in your ears. Remember when he we got up and talked, and he read the. Uh, from Isaiah, and he said, just so you know, today that's been fulfilled in your ears. And he sat down. Can you imagine the mouths gaped open? And he says that so many times. He quotes the Old Testament. He says, it was talking about me. So that, that's one way. What else? When we get to Hebrews 11, how might that help answer this question Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith. Mm -hmm. Abraham, Moses, 
all of the people, men and women. But what if we didn't have the Old Testament? There would be a chapter 11. It wouldn't mean very much, would it? I mean, he could have still ripped that up going, who's that? Who's that? Gideon, who's that? Um, if they did it, we'll get to that 11th, we can do it. Okay, what else? Uh, in fact, I want to, there's several more. I want to jump to this guy five minutes, don't we? Because this, now it's application. We've been doing some of it, but this is a little more. In what way does Hebrews 8, 1 through 13 challenge you to grow? You know, it's nice talking about all these other things. How does it challenge you? How does it challenge me to grow? Do you feel like that you've always appreciated Jesus as much as you should have? I have. When you read all of this and see how everything He's done for us, Sometimes you look in the mirror and go, dude, what's your problem? After all he's done for us. And remember in chapter 7 it said, he sits at God's right hand always or ever uh, as, our, as, our as our advocate. That's what he does. That's who he is. Well, if you stay down the old law, you don't have that. So, appreciation of Jesus was the first one I had. Anybody else have another one? He lives to plead our case to God. Does that comfort you at all? Shows the unconditional love yeah. that we also need to have. Absolutely. And he's got God's ear. You know, we see sometimes, you know, all that. It's like, Johnson, I. We got to, we have to cut him a little bit more slack, Father. I mean, he he he's gonna be all right. He's gonna be all right down there. But I understand it because I, I walk down there. I get it. That that's a I know that's uh, not to trivialize it, but that that's a picture I have in his right hand, talking to God about us, and and trying to help us, John. I was just thinking. More recently, um, I thought about is the fact that you know, you know, people say, well, well, yeah, Jesus died for everybody, right? Well, yeah, he did, and and but then people will say, well, you know, when bad things happen or trials or tribulations, they're like, you know, God doesn't really care about me. Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't care. About me. I'm like, he died for me. He cares. He cares. prophecy from Jeremiah that's the, the writer still puts there's a future part of that it says I will write my law on their hearts and how I need to grow is sometimes I need to get out of God's way so he can do what he said he will do because I can stop that process and leave this book closed right. I cannot have the prayer life I should I cannot spend the time with it in meditation I should I can shut that whole thing down 
where I can actually let him write his law on my heart and, and, and make that happen. And that's, I have to realize my part in that. So yeah. that let him do what he wants to do with me. We do have, we do play a big part. Have you, have you ever noticed, maybe when you're one of your lower moments in, in your life, how, and you start to question things, and then you got to think, well, I haven't studied my Bible now in two weeks. I haven't prayed. Let's see, when was the last time I prayed? Oh, I did thank him for my food. That was like eight words, okay? Uh, when's the last time I did anything for anybody? It's been a while. And you go, I wonder why I'm getting weaker. Really? Really? You got to keep on keeping on. And we got to do our part. God has done His part. And He continues to do His part. We got to do our part. There's no quitting. Tony? Well, I thought I had you. Um, my, one, of my, one of mine I had, dependence upon God is critical. Just what, what Greg was saying there. I think sometimes, I heard him say one time, uh, why don't you come down off of your throne and let God sit there a while? Um, I think we try to solve all the problems for every single person, and we try to solve everything in our country, and every everybody, every family. Well, why don't you leave that up to God? And uh, let, I think He's got it. I don't think. I know He's got it. It's going to be okay. I'll be all right. Sometimes when I get on my high horse, I get to thinking, I just don't know what I'm going to do with all this. Well, here's my idea. You don't have to do anything about it. There's not much you can do about it. Except be good, be you, and try to do the best you can. But John will change his world, generally, one at a time. Talk to people, try to try to convert people if you can. That's, how, that's our job. God is to rule the universe. So I had here, dependence upon God is critical. Sometimes I need that lesson. And the, a part of that, or a corollary to that, would be my uh, inadequacy. You ever feel that way at times? I'm just inadequate. Well, that's probably a normal feeling at times. But with, with Jesus at the right hand, and God in control, uh, you will be just fine. Don't don't know what you're supposed to be doing. Okay. Uh, was that? Yeah. Oh, that was the second one. Okay, I'm just going. Yes, I'm going to All right, we'll do chapter nine on Sunday. <laughs>